Welcome to Gaston County Matters with Vicki Spargo. Join us as we explore the community in which we live. Together, we'll visit some of the incredible people who live here, the hidden points of interest that keep people coming back, and the incredible history that has made us one of the most interesting counties in North Carolina. I'll welcome you to another incredible episode of Gaston County Matters. Gaston County is a hidden gem in the state of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. It is an awesome place. I'm here today with my sidekick, Stuart. Stuart, tell us some of the things you love the most about Gaston County. Oh my goodness, uh, where do I start? The food is phenomenal. Ooh. We covered that covered Amen. that on our last episode. If you yes. missed that, go back and listen. It's an awesome story. <laughs> um, the food's phenomenal. The people are warm and friendly, and yes. you don't find that everywhere. Exactly. You, it's hard to find. And we got some beautiful natural habitat like like Crowder's Ridge or yep. Crowder, Crowder's Mountain. Um, but my favorite thing about Gaston County is the stories of people who, who have weathered the journey from small town to really, uh, I mean, Gaston County is growing and exploding. And the people who have been here through all that and can tell their stories, man, that's my favorite. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And that today is exactly what we're going to get a chance to hear because the, the, the story you're going to hear today, if you'll stay with us, is going to blow your mind. It is phenomenal. <laughs> it I is. mean, it is phenomenal. Literally, they should be making a movie out of this guy's life. I would go see it. I would pay money to go see that movie. It's, yeah. it's incredible. It, it really is. Marshall Roush is is a local hero who, who also has made an impact nationally. He lives right here in Gaston County. Brother's 95 years old, <laughs> 95 years young. And so we're very grateful that he chose to sit down with our staff one day mm -hmm. at Bethlehem Church and just kind of shared his journey of his life and, and the things that really God led him to do. So... I, will, I want to encourage you to invite someone to listen to this with you and enjoy as we hear the story of Marshall Rouch. We're, we're excited that you're here with us on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Please, Ed, great-grandfather. <laughs> great-grandfather. <laughs> Not just a grandfather, a great grandfather. That's awesome. Um, you know, Senator Rouse, you've um, you, you've been here in our community, been a leader for a long time. I want to kind of go back to the beginning, um, and when you were just a just a, a little guy, what was it like growing up in in uh, Long Island? And that's a little bit different in Long Island than it is in Gastonia. But you you grew up during a difficult time. You grew up during the Depression. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. I mean, lived in Long Island, New York, and I uh, lived there until I was about 17 and went to college. It was, uh, it was country where I lived. A lot of people tease me and tell me I was born in Brooklyn, and I go along with that. But actually, <laughs> I lived in something that would be like Bessemer City. Wow. But it was right near New York. We were one mile from the ocean, and we did what? All kids do, played sports outside, kicked the can in the road, and uh, every, every game you can think of, just like everybody did. I guess the thing that was different, on Saturdays, my mother would take me to New York City, and if we went to a baseball game, it could be the New York Yankees or the Giants 
or the Dodgers. Mm. And around here, you didn't have an opportunity to, <laughs> no. to do that. We went to the museums, we went to um, the zoo, all that. So my mother was a wonderful mother, and my father too. However, when I was in the fifth grade, that must have been about 1933, the Depression hit us. And as far as I'm concerned, nothing bad happened because I was a kid, but I did change from going to a uh, private school to a public school. Well, that didn't matter to me. That was fine. I remember now that my father and his brother, who were, was a doctor, moved out of their homes and moved into one little house. And of course, I went, my cousins were there. I thought it was wonderful, right. <laughs> but really it was the, the depression. So wow. although it was severe, and I knew my parents and other parents were concerned about taking care of their family, as a kid, they was, did such a good job, I didn't know there was a problem. I grew up there, and I did not want to stay in New York, so I chose a college in North Carolina. Well, that's that's uh, that's phenomenal. We're going to talk a little bit about that because uh, you were also involved in some really interesting hobbies that I would dare say probably nobody listening to this has been involved in, and that's pigeon racing. Tell us a little bit about raising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell us a little was, bit about raising pigeons. That was. Uh, and do they taste like chicken? I wouldn't eat one of my little pets. Um, I did uh, raise and race pigeons. Not everybody did, but it was not uncommon. And uh, this is a funny story. In order to get good pigeons, you don't want, we called them, the pigeons that fly around the libraries. Well, really, you don't have a lot of pigeons flying around here. Right. But they fly around big buildings and all that. We called them rats. They were pigeons. <laughs> but you couldn't get one of those and raise it and uh, make a racing bird out of it. But there, there was a fellow not too far away who raised uh, racing birds. But we couldn't uh, afford to buy the pigeon. But for, I think it was 30 cents, he would sell us an egg of, a, of pigeons <laughs> properly made it. I think it was 30 cents. But what are you going to do with the eggs? So we had a stick and a box. You just figure a stick about a foot high and a wooden box, maybe uh, two foot by three foot, and you lean the box against the stick. Got that? The okay. stick thrown up okay. the box. Got it. And we got a string. This is true. As I tell it now, as I tell it now, this is true. Yeah, we'd get a string and we'd go away and hide behind the bushes, but we'd put corn out there. So those rats, pigeons, they'd go eat the corn, we'd pull the string. Now we've got pigeons. Now you're in business. But you have to time it when the birds that we had would lay eggs. A pigeon will. They lay two eggs. If you put four there, they'll take care of all four. Mm. So we had those homing pigeons going to come out of that 30-cent shell, and we'd give them one or two more, and then we'd raise the pigeons, and finally we had good pigeons. What you do is uh, to get them uh, accustomed to what you want them to race, you uh, feed them and blow a whistle, and then you let them go. 
and they'll fly around. You blow the whistle, and they'll go in because the food wow. is there. Now you got them trained to want to eat there. And then what we did to race them, I didn't run a race. We put our pigeons in it. And they would, for instance, take, they would put a band on all the birds, a different band, take them, say, to Philadelphia, about 100 miles away, and let them go at a certain time. And when they came in, you took the band, you put it in a clock. Then you turned in your times and see which pigeons were faster. Wow. That was just a, a lot of fun. I guess the most fun, as I think of it now, was a box and a stick and a string. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound like a blast. And that's, uh, wow, those are great memories. And, and you know, obviously you've seen a, a lot of change in our world Uh Marshall in the last 95 years, but particularly when it comes to a sport that you really enjoyed, which is the game of basketball. Yeah. And um, tell us a little bit about your your basketball career. Particularly, you played for a, a, a team maybe some people have heard of, and that is Duke University. Any Duke fans in the house? Uh, there's two There's two here. Um, but we're right. That's right. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about the game back then and how you got to play for Duke and, and how the game's a lot different today than it was. Oh, yeah. Foul shots were shot underhand, two hands. If In high school, I can remember, if you were to dare to take a one-handed shot, you'd sit down. All, <laughs> all shots were two-handed. All foul shots were underhanded. Mm. Uh, we had, I think we had a jump ball after every basket. I know for sure was jump ball every quarter. The biggest thing today, in order to let the point guard be of same value as a seven-foot rebounder, when we played, you couldn't palm the ball. <laughs> today, it's nothing to see a point guard, you know? <laughs> well, that's good because it makes them very valuable. Right. And, uh, it was a great game. I played it all my life. I played JV in high school. I did play on the varsity in high school. We did win the South Shore of, of Long Island Championship. Made a lot of friends, stayed in touch with them. Good game. Now, I went to Duke. I've had people introduce me, Marshall Roush, former scholarship star basketball player from Duke University. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's 101% untrue. <laughs> I'll give you my career. And by the way, different then, I have pictures at Duke where we had a steel belt buckle. You know, that's yeah, absolutely wow. not allowed now. <laughs> and uh, it was a big change coming from high school to Duke. But I was not bad, and I got on the team. I played in the what was then the uh, indoor stadium because Eddie Cameron was the coach. And uh, I played in that stadium the first year it was finished. <laughs> and uh, I read somewhere that that stadium cost $400,000, which is absolutely nothing as compared to what they play in now. But I understand Krzyzewski likes that, and that's why it's going to stay. <laughs> okay. My career. Freshmen were not allowed to play varsity when I was a freshman, which was 1940. Freshmen were not allowed in any sport. 
And on the freshman team, yes, I did play, and I had a lot of fun, and I played in every game, and I had a part in it. Got to my sophomore year, it's a completely different story. The truth is, I was a substitute. I did play. I sat on the bench. You might say I was on the squad. But my <laughs> friends will tell you I was practically All-American. <laughs> now, here's the way I describe it when I don't want to tell what I just said. You know, there are uh, specialists in basketball. Today, three-point shooters, foul mm -hmm. shooters, fast break. Okay. I was a closer. Well, I'll tell you what a closer did on the varsity at Duke University in 1942. If Duke got ahead by 20 points, <laughs> or even behind by 20 points, with 20 seconds to go, <laughs> Roush, Roush, hurry up. That's about the truth. But I loved it. I had a lot of time. In fact, my freshman year, I was I had played with the varsity before the varsity. The freshman played, played a lot of people, all kind of stuff. I come in, I'm all perspiring and everything. You might even know the name Cedric Loftus. He was a great basketball player, sitting next to me, and he points up in the stands. There were a lot of people there. But says, "See that girl? You ought to meet that girl." And just then, she happened to be looking down. And so he's pointing, I'm pointing. I told my roommate about it and said she was good looking. He, my roommate, called her for a date. <laughs> Talk about risks when it was time for him to go pick her up. I said, you're staying home, Murray. I'm going. I'm going. <laughs> and that's how I met Jeannie. I'll even tell you this. At 10 o'clock, I mean, it was big-time curfew, especially freshmen, and they lived in houses. they got to be there. Well, the first night, there are bushes around there, you know, and I got around one of those bushes, which other guys were doing. I kissed her goodnight, and she was late getting in. So she got in a lot of trouble the first time she met. I enjoyed basketball. It, uh, I played basketball in the Army. It was a big part of my life, and I believe everybody should be on a team. Mm. It can be a ping-pong team. <laughs> you need to be on a team to be with other people, yep. and you l learn how to support them, and then you realize how good you feel when they support you, sure. and you learn that way. So being on a team what's what's important. Well, that, that may resolve some of the challenges that we got today where we learn to love each other and care about each other. And speaking of that, Marsha, uh, you, you were uh, a part of a very important movement here in, in Gaston County many, many years ago, which was the Human Relations Committee, which is to integrate our community. What, what was that important to you? And what was, what was racial relations like back in those days? I consider uh, having been chairman of that Human Relations Committee uh, the most important work I've done in my life, mm -hmm. and I'm proud of it. Believe it or not, black kids didn't go to schools with white people. Black kids didn't drink out of the same fountain. Black kids didn't go to the 
movie and sit in the same place. Black kids couldn't eat in restaurants with white people. Going to a motel was absurd. I mean, to think about it, but it was accepted. Mm. Believe it or not, that was so common, it was accepted. It was terrible. Now, I was, uh, well, I guess it was 67. I was in my early 40s, and I had served on the city council, and Dan Gunner, we were friends, and uh, he called me and said, we're going to have a human relations commission, and its object is to integrate Gastonia, and uh, how do you like to be chairman? Well, a lot of things went through my mind quickly. I'm from a religious minority. I was also from New York, and I also grew up with black kids, played basketball with them and ate with them. There was none of that in New York, visibly, I'm saying, the visible signs. Oh, I thought about it, I said, I could probably do this. I have a better chance than guys who were just born here and lived here. And we had an excellent committee, half black and half white. Many of them, just about all of them, just in their prime of life and became successful judges. And like, I'm just thinking of Ramsor who became a judge and T. Jeffers. It went well. Tell you what we built on. Sounds like nothing, but we built on it. The city golf course was integrated. Whoop-de-doo, big thing. They let black guys play on the same golf course as white guys. But other cities weren't doing that. And we picked on that as a start. And from there, we talked things over. What could we do? What should we do? Some of the interesting things were when we uh, integrated the restaurants in Gastonia. And I'll tell you the first place that black and white people had uh, dinner together. The old, was it the Holiday Inn? Right across from where the YMCA was. But um, I went and spoke to the motel manager. He was all for it. No problem whatsoever. Might know Jim Atkins, used to be the editor of the paper. And I and T. Jeffers went to dinner there. Absolutely smooth and easy. Then we broke up and spoke to all the eating establishments in town and tell them what we wanted to do. Everybody was willing to do it except one fella, and I was the one to see him. Here was the conversation. The name of the restaurant was John's. It was a small hole in the wall near the post office. I went in there to see John. He had a small restaurant. Uh, oh, I'll give you an idea. Maybe he had six or eight stools and two or three tables for four. And I went in and I stopped my speech. We're working on integrating Estonia. I know you want to help. And uh, all we're asking is that when uh, black people come in, you treat them just like other people. They will pay their bill. They will leave a tip. It's be a very good thing, and you're, you should get more business. He said, I want more business. But what do you mean you don't want more business? He says, I got three black people eat here now every day now. I don't need more business. <laughs> he was already integrated. Already integrated. <laughs> yeah. But everyone else came along. 
the schools, of course, was done by law. Movie theaters were a problem. There were two theaters. There was a web and the temple was on Main Street. Uh, no problems at all at the temple theater. Oh, Gastonia did exceptionally well in uh, integration. Sort of tough when you say you had to integrate a YMCA. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. But um, they integrated, everybody integrated, and now what you see, it looks real good. There's so far to go. There's so far to go. But at least we're on the path. Actually, that probably started me in uh, politics. Mm. No, I'd been on the city council before, but um, I made lots of strong friends all yeah. over. And uh, I'm appreciative of the fact that I was able to do that. You see, um, I'll tell you something. In Judaism, if a person gives a lot of money to charity, good for that person, but he's fortunate for the life he has led previously to be in a position to do that. That's enough preaching. That's, that's good. Well, this was such an incredible conversation with uh, Senator Roush that we, we really needed to have two episodes. And as you just heard, to know where we are today, we mm. didn't get here by accident, Stuart. No, we didn't. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And to think that you had to have a group of people go to local restaurants and say, please open up your restaurants so that uh, people of color can eat in these restaurants, Stuart, that, that blows our minds. Uh, it really does. You know, to me, it doesn't make sense. As a restaurant own, owner, we're begging you to double your business. Right. What? <laughs> 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 no, I mean, but I guess, you know, I, I'm, I'm a young guy. I'm 25 years old. I guess that's just the way it was at one point in Gaston County. And, you know, thankfully for people like Marshall Roush and the people that he, he worked with, we're not there anymore. Well, you're exactly right. We, we've come a long ways, but mm -hmm. my friends, we still have a long ways we to do. go. And if we don't learn from our history, we're doomed to repeat mm. Mm -hmm. We're doomed to repeat it. So uh, I, I'm so grateful that we had leaders like Marshall Roush and many of our African-American leaders mm -hmm. and, and, and many other people that stood up and said, we want this community to be different. Again, we still have a long ways to go. And you're going to hear part two uh, of Marshall Roush's uh, interview that I think you're going to be captivated by. But I want to say thank you so much for listening to this. And mm -hmm. please go. And uh, if you would, share with uh, your friends about this podcast. How can they do that? Absolutely. So ratings and reviews on iTunes help us a ton. Uh, they get Gaston County in front of more people, which, yep. is, which is what we, we want to have happen. You can find us on um, iTunes, SoundCloud, um, Stitcher, or Google Play. Uh, we're in all those places. And, um, I mean, throw us out on social media. Throw, throw a link up. It's a really easy thing to do and a really great way for um, your friends who maybe even those who don't live here to know what a wonderful place that, that you call home in Gaston County. Exactly. And so thank you so much. Your time with us is very valuable. We don't take it for granted on behalf of my man, Stuart, and behind, uh, behind all of our family here at Gaston County Matters, we want to say thank you. God bless you. And God be with you and your family. Thank you for listening. We've enjoyed sharing today's discussion with you. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and share us with your friends. Then join us next time as we bring you Gaston County Matters.